welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I walked in the front door this morning and there was a note taped to the front door from the church down the street. Not, not from Art House, uh, but uh, they're good people too. To our brothers and sisters in Christ at the Awakening Church. We'll have to get that right. <laughs> Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The family at St. Peter's Lutheran Church welcome you to the neighborhood and praise God that you've been blessed with your own house of worship. Today in America, we are like, more likely to hear of a church closing its doors rather than opening them, and so the news of your prosperity is very, very encouraging to witness. We also are praying and seeking as the Lord reveals his current roles for both of us, looking forward to partnering with you for the sake of Christ's kingdom. We pray we may complement each other as different yet equal parts of the body of Christ, and we will pray for you just as we do other congregations in the neighborhood. On behalf of St. Peter's Pastor Lucas Witt. Stand-up guy. Stand-up guy. <clears throat> Lucas and I had coffee a couple weeks ago. I emailed a bunch of the pastors in the neighborhood, and, and he's the one that responded. So we had coffee, and he's a good, good fellow. So, 20, I think 28 years old, he's inherited a church. The, the previous pastor was there for 40 years. He says to me, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, dude, I could never do what you do. Like, not in a million years could I do that. Well, welcome to the new home of Awaken, everybody. Uh, And today, we will intentionally and deliberately no longer refer to this as St. James, but as Awaken. Um, We want to, uh, we want to honor, and we want to say, uh, we want to honor the past, the faithful, and the beautiful things that have happened in this building um, sometimes I think about the hundreds of knees that have hit those kneelers and prayed for people in this community and in this city, and we want to honor that, but we also want to say yes to all the things that God is doing and what God might do. So welcome to Awaken, my friends. Um, if you have given financially at all or served to make this transition happen, would you please stand up right where you are? I figured like half the church would stand this morning. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I sat right over here on this week and wrote the first of, uh, I hope to be, many, many sermons. And uh, I was just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude for all of you, for all of the things that have happened in the story of this community, for uh, the people who make this place what it is, um, for the sacrifice that many of you have made, I was just filled to the brim with joy and gratitude. So thank you. Thank you so much. I remember the day that Corky, who's our our chair and our board, we were driving home from the Boundary Waters, and uh, we were in communication with St. Francis and St. James about this space, and I remember getting an email which said uh, this deal was done, that somebody else was going to rent the building, and uh, I remember just being devastated, having this dream, this thing that I was beginning to love and think about uh, be gone, or the possibility of it just be gone. And uh, I remember kind of putting it on the altar, as it were, and uh, giving it back to God, this thing that I loved, and, 
in some small way, thinking maybe, maybe this is a bit of what Abraham, or, uh, Abraham would have felt with his son Isaac, taking this thing that he loved and put, giving it back to God. And now here we are. <laughs> Which is <clears throat> interesting what happens when you give God your heart and the things that you love. Um, every year in the fall, we take a, a series and we spend time talking about the vision and the mission and the values of this community. And I thought of any time that we're going to do that, outside of that time, this would be a perfect morning where we take a bit of time to sort of reflect and think about and recalibrate who we are and why we do what we do as a church. Um, And so I want to do that this morning, and I hope to capture the momentum of this transition. I hope that maybe in the midst of laying carpet, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many carpet tiles have been laid or cut, and like these guys, Luke and Eva, I mean, they practically carpeted the entire place with a team of people. Um, or the nail guns, or all of the things that we've been doing, I think sometimes it's easy to forget. And so I want to revisit some of those things. And I, what I want to do is look at the directionality of God's movement. So when we find God moving or acting in the scriptures, what's the, is there, a, is there a, a direction or is there a pulse? Is there a, a, a theme or a movement that we find when God acts and moves? And then what's the church's response? Because I think this is where we find ourselves. So we're going we're gonna to travel through the scriptures a bit, and we're going to start in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, and I'll ask you to stand uh, for this first one. We're going to read a number of passages, but I'll ask you to stand for this first one, and we'll jump in. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, great name, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Pray with me. God, as we begin this study and as we begin this journey in this space, we are grateful. Um, God, our hearts are filled with joy and gratitude for all that you have done for all that you are doing in this community and all that you will do. God, would you make us um, good neighbors in the sense that we find you at work in the world and and we join you? Would you bless the work of our hands and would you give us favor in meeting people and finding new friends in this space? Um, God, we give you thanks and we pray all these things in your name by the power of your spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So Acts is the story of God's newly defined people. Previously, in the Old Testament, God's people were defined by Israel, this covenantal people called Israel. And now in the New Testament, we find this new group of people, also known as the Church of Jesus. And it tells the story, the book of Acts, from the beginning, following the resurrection, and then the, the sending out of God's people, this new group, But in order to understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples in Acts 1, you kind of, I think, you have to go back and you have to start understanding what God has been doing and saying all along. Because Jesus is tapping into something. He's a Jewish teacher. He's a a, a rabbi. Rabbis would come later. But he's a Jewish teacher. And so he's tapping into a story that these people would have already known and, and understood. 
And so he's tapping into something connected to how God moves in the world, or how God moves when God moves. So I think you have to go back to the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say this. And then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I think one could argue that this would be true for all of creation up to this point, but I think you see it distinctly in the creation of humanity, that when God creates humanity... It finds its home and its center and its source in the very nature of God. So humanity, creation, comes from the divine being. It comes from this relational dance that's happening between Father, Son, and Spirit. This divine dance, as the church fathers call it. And so creation bubbles forth from that place and goes out. Maybe said differently, we are because God is. Humanity and creation is conceived and produced because of the love and the beauty and the relationship, the union that exists in the divine. Often in the, in the, in the ancient Near East, you'd find creation stories, and this one differs insofar as it's the, the product of, of God's, or, or creation is the product of God's love and union and relationship, not out of chaos or disorder or somebody being upset about something. So it's out of the love of God, the union of God that exists in God, that creation comes forth. If I were to draw it, I would draw it like this. The direction of creation, it pulses out. It's like an earthquake or a tsunami or a drop of water in a bucket. The energy is at the center and it moves out from there. This is how God moves. This is the direction in which we find God moving in the scriptures. So if you flip over to Genesis chapter 12 and you know the story of the Bible, you know that Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've sinned. Uh, Noah has happened. And in Genesis chapter 12, we find a guy named Abram and his wife named Sarai. And they're given a promise. In Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation... And I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So God's restoration project, the way in which God wants to to change or reverse what happens in Genesis 3, is to pick this group of people who will be called Israel and bless them because through them the entire world would be blessed. So the direction of Israel or the intention of Israel is similar to the, the direction of creation. It moves out from Israel. Israel was never about Israel. It was always about the world. So when you think about these people who God promised and covenanted to in the Old Testament, the purpose of it wasn't to make Israel Israel. The purpose of it was to restore the world. The purpose of it was to bring all that God had made good back into God's loving arms. And so the direction or the intention of Israel was absolutely in in sync with the direction God had been moving thus far, from the center out to the edges. So Israel was always for the margins. It was always for the people on the edges. It was always for the people who were left out. In fact, Israel's commanded in the Old Testament to not harvest their fields to the edges, which is a, a weird kind of thing. Like The scripture says, don't harvest your field to the edge, but leave some for the foreigner, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Why? 
Because Israel's whole point was for the nations, it was for the world, it was for restoration. So the direction or the intention of Israel moves in the same way. And we see this confirmed by Jesus. If you turn to the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous soliloquies, he says in verse 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, many people would argue that the Sermon on the Mount was actually addressed to Israel. It was, and more specifically, it was addressed to the religious leaders of Israel, also known as the Pharisees. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why does Jesus seem, find it necessary to remind them that their intention, their purpose, their telos, was to be a city on a hill that couldn't be hidden, to be a lamp that, no, that everyone could see? Why would he have to do that? Well, the intention of Israel, unfortunately, had moved to a different direction, and Israel had become a bit like this in Jesus' time. Uh, do we have the one where the, the arrows are pointing in? I think we got that one. Yeah. So this is what had happened, unfortunately. If it was intended to go out, by the time Jesus rolls around and we find Israel and, and in the New Testament, early turn of the, the I guess, zero, what, I don't even know what you call that, the turn of zero, right? You have this group of people who have, and it's a good thing that we don't do that. You know, they're the only ones, right? Does anybody remember Feel the Dreams? Kevin, yeah, Kevin Costner. Ooh, man. Whew, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> Kevin Costner, is this Iowa? Or is this heaven? And no, it's Iowa. Um, so there's this point in, in Field of Dreams. If you don't know the movie, he's a, he's a farmer. He lives in Iowa. And he has these dreams about shoeless Joe Jackson from the White Sox. And he keeps hearing this voice. And if you've seen the movie, you know what's coming, right? If you build it, they will come, or he will come, specifically Shoeless Joe. And the, the, the invitation is like, if you build this baseball field in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa, Shoeless Joe and the, the, the band players of the White Sox will come back and they will play. If you build it, he will come. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times the church ends up doing that, where we sort of assume this position uh, if we build it, they will come. Which is why I felt it necessary to preach the sermon that I'm preaching today, ironically enough, because here we are in this space, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's, there aren't fat fryers anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't smell like french fries. No one has spilled beer on this carpet yet, or done other things either. God only knows what has happened in that building. None of that's happened here yet. And it's comfortable. If we build it, they will come, right? That is antithetical to who God is and how God moves in the scriptures. And so this is a challenge this morning. The movement of the gospel, the movement of God in the scriptures, the directionality of God's movement is centrifugal, not centripetal. Now you might be thinking... You studied theology. What do you know about centrifugal and centripetal? I will tell you that I know more than you might think I know about centrifugal and centripetal, which still may not be much. But centrifugal is this. 
It's the tendency of an object following a curved path to move out. So when you're on the merry-go-round or you're on the, the what do they call this? The, the, no, the, the thing you're on as a kid that you, it's a merry-go-round. Yeah, okay. If you're on the merry-go-round and you get closer to the edge, right, you feel like you're going to be flung off of the merry-go-round. That's centrifugal force. It's the thing that pushes you out from the center. Centripetal force is what you feel when you're on a roller coaster, when the, the rails actually pull you in. Centripetal force is it's the, it's the force that sort of keeps it moving in a uniformed path. So centrifugal force is that which sends you out. Centripetal force is that which keeps you in. The movement of God in Scripture is always this way. Our tendency as people and as the church is to do this. Build the walls, create the space, and everybody will come. And I want to just suggest to you this morning that that is completely opposite of what we find to be true about God in the Scriptures. The intention of Israel, unfortunately, didn't move in consistency or in the same direction as what God, or the direction of it wasn't consistent with the intention of it. And of course, this is certainly true of you and I and our churches at times, too. So if you go back to Acts chapter 1, where we started, we read this in verses 4 to 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, (laughs) right? When are you going to restore the kingdom? Which is code word for when are you going to restore Israel? Which is when are you going to build this thing up? And what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know, which is his way of saying, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the times or dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, which is where they were, but then Judea, the next town up, and then Samaria, the next region, and then the ends of the earth. The direction of the gospel. So if we begin with God in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, and we find that creation comes out from the center, the energy that is God and out, and then we see Israel intended to move from Israel or to be this energy, this pulse out into the world, then we see Jesus doing exactly the same thing with his disciples, sending them out into the world. Don't stay in Jerusalem, in fact. Go out because that's where this thing is headed for. That's what the intention is all about. It's what it's for. If you move to Acts chapter 15, this is the last one, our last stop along the way. It's so very interesting that halfway through the book of Acts, we find this council in Jerusalem. And there's this debate about all these things. And in verses 1, starting in verse 1, we read, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go where? Back to Jerusalem, headquarters, Target HQ, to the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told them, the Gentiles, how they had been converted. This news made all the believers glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. And the apostles and the elders of the church to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers 
belong to the party. I think I'm supposed to stop. Oh, yeah, verse 5. Belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised to, uh, and required to keep the law of Moses. Let me see if I can wrap this up. Paul and Barnabas are out doing what Jesus asked them to do. They, are, they have moved from Jerusalem through Judea, through Samaria, and now are out to the other, other ends of the earth, sharing the gospel, this good news about Jesus. There's a debate, there's a concern about whether the Gentile converts who are coming into this new faith should be circumcised, to which all the Gentile converts were like, yes, sign me up! And the Jews are saying, we had to do it, you have to do it. I mean, come on, right? I mean, listen, this is a, it's not, it hurts. <laughs> we got to suffer, you do. So they send Paul and Barnabas back, where? To Jerusalem, which is where we find the headquarters of this new movement of God, the resurrection people of Jesus, which were supposed to be headed out to the ends of the earth, but are still headquartered in Jerusalem. The apostles and the elders, all the people in charge are there. And it's an interesting phenomenon. It's, a, it's a, such a great storyline that whoever wrote Acts, uh, arguably Luke, was brilliant. Because again and again and again, we find the Spirit of God just out ahead of the people who are supposed to be representing the people of God, right? We find Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that story? I mean, that would be a trippy one. I'd love to be a fly on the wall that day. And he's like, why can't I be baptized? There's some water. Then we find Peter showing up at Cornelius' house, and the Spirit is at work there. People are getting saved, and Peter's like... I think this is the spirit I work. And then they get sent back to Jerusalem, and their response to this whole debate, which is brilliant, great for church leadership, it seemed good to the spirit and us that we should do this. That was their response to the, to the debate. We don't think that that should be necessary for them to do that. It seemed good to the spirit and us. But we find that the spirit is out ahead of the church almost at every point in the book of Acts. Why do I say all of this? What's the point? I want to offer a warning, a reminder, and an invitation as I close. A warning. We began Awaken desperately seeking and needing and dependent upon God's Spirit. Because we didn't know how to do anything else. That was the beauty of beginning. Because you're desperate. There's only 30 of you. And if this thing doesn't go, then who knows what, right? We might not be here next week. I remember showing up on Sundays thinking, are they going to come back? And there was a desperation. We were tirelessly asking how and where God was at work outside of these walls and doors. And we must, we must continue to do so. So a warning to us this morning. This place is beautiful. I, I want, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a series on the stained glass and telling the stories that, that they tell. It's amazing. It's so aesthetically pleasing it speaks of God's majesty and grandeur. And it would be easy to go, man, this place is awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Right? But we cannot do that because that would be antithetical to the gospel. That's not the church. That's a country club. That's not who we are. Amen? So we will tirelessly continue asking God, where are you at work and how do we get involved? A reminder, the mission of this church when we began, three key words, 
demonstrate, announce, and partner. Awaken exists to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus in the world and to partner with God in the ongoing work of redemption. So an invitation to you to demonstrate with your lives the very love of God that you have experienced, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. Demonstrate it with your lives, with your hands, with your words, with your work. And announce it. 1 Peter 3 says, whenever you have a reason, whenever you have an opportunity, give reason for the hope that you have. And then there's an addendum. Do this with gentleness and respect, which we have done poorly many times as the church. But announce, give word to the reason, give words to the reasons why you love Jesus and follow him. Demonstrate, announce, and then partner. This thing, the church, is a response to the invitation of God to do and be something in the world. God says, help me restore the world to the people of God, to the church. And we then say yes. So we don't show up somewhere God isn't already at work. We don't bring Jesus anywhere. God is at work in the world because God made it and called it good and wants it back. So for you and I, it's a shift. It's a different frame of mind. We partner with the Spirit of God already at work, just like in the book of Acts, loose out in front of us. I bet you if we look and and have eyes to see and ears to hear, we will find God's Spirit already at work in this neighborhood because that's what God does. That's who God is. So a reminder, this is who we are. And our vision, when we dreamed about Awaken, we dreamed, we envisioned a safe place for people to journey. So if you're here this morning and you're just checking this place out, I hope that you feel welcomed, I hope that you feel loved, and I hope you know that you belong. I hope you know that this is a safe place. If you have questions, welcome. Where, why, why, why shouldn't you be able to bring them to a place like this? So we want to journey together and, and, and do so as a safe place, which requires emotionally healthy adults who know how to have conversations with each other and resolve conflict with each other. So let's learn how to do that. That's hard work. Fundamentalism and black and white is easier. We are intentionally opting out of that for a messier, harder deal. But I think you're here because you want that too. So we want to be a safe place with Jesus at the center. Tenaciously, we will anchor this thing. If this, is, this community is defined by anything, it is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who I believe and we believe to be the Son of God. So that's the center. And I hope and I dream about people waking up. That's, the, that's our name. That people would be waking up to God's dream for the world, God's dream for the neighborhoods that you live in, and God's dream for your life. And I believe that there, are, there is a yes to all three of those. That God has hopes and dreams for the world, and God has hopes and dreams for your neighborhood where you live, and your workplace where you work and your life. So that's who we are. So a reminder. And then an invitation. An invitation to inhabit this space in a particular way. And that takes a conscious effort to affirm the directional nature of God as we see in the scriptures, which is always from the center out. To recognize our tendency as humans to look in and to turn inwards. Luther says, sin is the heart turned in on itself. That's a great definition. I think it's pretty, I think it's appropriate. And then to examine and ask what part 
What part am I playing in this movement, in this pulse that we call God's work in the world? So I'm going to ask John, Mark, and Alia, they're going to come and we're going to close with one song together. And they've got to move some things around so you guys can go ahead and do that. But let me just offer this benediction. So may these walls and doors provide love and care for those who need it. May they be a shelter in the storm. May they be a place where we commune with the divine and with one another. May the light of God always be found burning brightly in these walls and doors. So that we may say yes to the invitation of God to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus. So that we may say yes. That we may never forget the movement of God and the rhythm of the gospel, which is one that goes from in, from the center to the edges and finds its source in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, friends, here we go. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. And these places were built for no microphones, which means that the voices that happen in this room reflect. We've tried to deaden that a little bit so the drums didn't kill you all. But listen as you sing. Listen to the voices around you. Let them fill you up. Let them speak words of hope and of life and of encouragement to you. And let's bless each other as we sing this song. Grace and peace to you. For you, with you, in you. Amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.